to the book of Galatians. Last week we started our series on the book of Galatians. If you were not here last week, I would encourage you to go online and uh, just to get up to speed with where we are because chapters 1 and 2 are very critical to the outlay and the development of the book. And so I think it would help you a great deal if you would do that. Tonight, I want us to begin looking at verse 10 through 24, but let's back up and read the chapter in its entirety. And we'll be talking tonight when self-defense is a good offense. He says, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let it be accursed. As we've said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let it be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people, so extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia. And I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. Now, I pointed out last week that the book of Galatians is called what? Do you remember the phrase that's used of it? The Magna Carta of spiritual liberty. 
And it was the battle cry of the Reformation, the Protestant Reformation. Martin Luther said, the epistle to the Galatians is my epistle. To it I am, as it were, in wedlock. Galatians is my Catherine. Catherine was the name of Luther's wife. It was out of Luther's careful study of the Scripture, especially of the book of Galatians, that he discovered God's plan of salvation by grace through faith apart from works of the law. Now, the book of Galatians applied so well to what Luther was dealing with during the Protestant Reformation because he saw the Roman Catholic Church adding things to the gospel, things like indulgences and purgatory and the traditions of the church and et cetera, et cetera, things that they were adding to the gospel saying that a person needs all of this in order to be saved. And so no wonder Luther, after his salvation, after rising up to that and coming to faith in Christ and Christ alone, no wonder that Galatians spoke so wonderfully and powerfully to him. Uh, if you're looking for a good commentary on the book of Galatians, Martin Luther's commentary is still considered one of the very best to, to, to have today. There may be different editions, but yeah, but it's still available today and, and listed in the top five. Now, as we saw last week, Paul immediately launched into doing what? Defending his apostleship. And why did we say he was defending his apostleship? Was it simply because he was defending himself? His authority. His authority. He, he wanted to defend that because they were undermining his apostleship and he knew if the Judaizers were successful in doing that, they could in turn undermine his message. He didn't want the message undermined. And so he defended himself as an apostle. Now, I mentioned that a group of Judaizers had come in among the Galatian churches and they had begun to preach that these new Christians needed to be circumcised, they needed to keep the law, in addition to faith in Jesus Christ. So essentially, they needed to become good Jews first and do everything that Judaism said and then add Christ sort of as the icing on the cake to that. A Jesus plus something else, salvation. A Jesus plus human merit and, and works. <laughs> And of course, that's, as he said here, that's no gospel at all. We're not talking here about mere preferences where Christians get together and one prefers this style of worship or that style of worship. I mean, we're talking about things that are essential. And that's why he responds like he does. In fact, he responds so sternly, he skips over the customary greetings at the first of the letter. He jumps in verse 6 and says, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one. And so he just skips the normal niceties and jumps right in. And he, he just skins them alive. 
Well, in Acts 20, 24, Paul referred to the gospel as the gospel of the grace of God. It is good news of a God who, who is gracious to undeserving sinners. In grace, he gave his son to die for us. In grace, he calls us to himself. It, it's good news in that sense. In grace, he justifies us when we believe. And as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.18, all of this is from God. In other words, everything in salvation is due to the grace of God and not the merit of man. As Paul will say in this letter, to turn from the gospel of grace is to turn from the God of grace. You can't turn from his gospel without turning from him. Now, the Judaizers were saying that once having begun with Christ, you have to then turn to Moses, essentially, to complete your salvation. And this was nothing short of damn, damnable in Paul's eyes. It negates the very reason Jesus came to this earth. And that's why he says in some of the strongest language anywhere in the New Testament, let him be anathema. Let him be eternally damned. It's a strong curse. He says if anybody else, or if I myself, or an angel were to come preaching some other gospel, let him be eternally damned. You know, also if you tamper with the gospel, you trouble the church because the true church lives and breathes by the gospel of God's grace in Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Furthermore, to add weight to their argument, the Judaizers also set out to try to discredit Paul himself. And so Paul had no choice but to defend his apostleship. Now, as I pointed out, he's not on an ego trip. He only wanted to show that he was a legitimate apostle for the sake of the gospel. In other words, the gospel was his main concern because he knew if they could discredit him as an apostle, they could discredit the message that he preached. And so he defends his apostleship in order to defend the gospel. Isn't it interesting how even today, when somebody wants to oppose somebody, we, we've gotten bad about this in society, especially probably those on the left. When they oppose somebody, what do they immediately begin to do? They begin to hurl insults at that person. Rather than having a rational debate, you know, they hurl insults at them. They try to discredit the person. And that's what they even tried to do in ancient times with Jesus. At his trial, they tried to point out they produced false witnesses to, to say that he was a blasphemer and he had done certain things because if they could discredit him with the authorities, they thought they could shut him up. So that's what they tried to do. It's the same thing they tried to do with the Apostle Paul here. They're trying to discount God's work in his life, calling him to be an apostle. 
Now, what we'll look at tonight is an autobiographical section. In this section, Paul will show how their charges obviously don't hold water. In response to them trying to discredit him, he's going to discredit their charges and to show that their charges against him are nothing more than lies. And again, what we'll see here too is sometimes it's necessary for a Christian to defend themselves. If somebody is insulting you, move on. You know, the book of Proverbs says it it is to a wise man's credit to take an insult and move on. But if the insult is such that it would challenge or discredit the gospel, then we need to make a response. First thing I want you to see with me tonight is the unique character of Paul's life. The unique character of Paul's life. Look at verse 10 again. He says, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Paul had once been a man pleaser. He'd been a man pleaser when he persecuted the church. Uh, The book of Acts tells us that Paul was there at the stoning of Stephen. Stephen was the first martyr of the church. And as they were stoning Stephen, they were laying their garments at the feet of Saul. That's Paul. Now, from there, what did Paul go on to do as Rabbi Saul? To persecute the church. I'm I'm sure with every Christian that Paul hauled off to jail, his Jewish brethren put another feather in his cap. Rabbi Saul, was a, he was a rising star in their ranks. And he had been trained by one of the best, by Gamaliel. But now that he's become a Christian and is preaching Christ, those who once supported him and cheered him on have now turned against him. I want you to turn with me back to Acts chapter 9 a moment. Acts chapter 9. And begin reading with me in verse 19. Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse 19, says, And taking food, he was strengthened. This is right after God appears to him and and the scales fall from his eyes. He regained his sight. He was baptized. He's, He's now a believer in Christ, brand new believer, taking food. He was strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose to bring them bound before the chief priest? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. 
And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord, who spoke to him, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord, and he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists. But they were all, they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. And so Paul has gone from a rising star in the ranks of Jewish rabbis who was persecuting Christians to now Paul himself as a Christian has become a hunted man. If he were still a man pleaser in his former way of life, he points out here that he certainly wouldn't be a servant of Christ. But now that he is a servant of Christ, he really doesn't care what men think of him. Paul just simply wants to be found faithful. The only thing that matters to him now is obedience to Christ. Folks, what could happen in Christianity today if all of us had that kind of passion? I mean, just think of that. What if we put the gospel above self? You know, I think of Revelation 12, 11. It says, They overcame by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto death. What could happen if more Christians were like that? Our problem is, I think, that oftentimes we love our lives more than we love the gospel and more than we love Christ. You know, Jesus said in Matthew 16, 24, no one can be his disciple unless he denies himself, picks up his cross, which was an instrument of death, and follows me. You know, just like in Luke 14, people have all kinds of excuses, don't they? Remember that uh, story Jesus told in Luke 14 about the, the great banquet and everybody, everybody being invited to the banquet and when the master of the banquet said, go and get everybody gathered together and the servants go and announce, come on, the banquet's ready. What did they all alike begin to do? Make excuses, exactly. that like people today? You better believe it. Paul's life, though, was now characterized by faithfulness to Christ, by obedience, and he wanted to follow Christ and glorify Christ. There's been a change in his life. I tell you what, may this be seen in our lives as well. For what a blessing it would be if the world looked at us and said all those Christians want is to glorify Christ, to glorify their master and serve him. And so again, if the Judaizers were going to downplay Paul's life, 
he's pointing out they had some explaining to do. Because he's not a man pleaser anymore. How could they account for this radical change that has taken place in his life? His life is exhibit A of God's undeserved saving grace. Well, secondly, I want you to see the unique character of Paul's message beginning there in verse 11. Paul points out that the gospel that he preached was not man's gospel. It didn't originate with man. If the gospel had originated with man, what do you think it would look like? Be manipulative. Be manipulative, sure. Prosperity gospel, probably those elements in it. But what would it especially contain if man had wrote the gospel? Man's good deeds and, and merit. It would highlight men. Because men in their pride want to think that they have something to do with their own salvation. And that's why in the religions of the world, with the exception of Christianity, most of them are that, that men need to do this and that in order to be right with God. Paul said in the book of Romans that, that the Jews had substituted their own righteousness for the righteousness of God. They'd set aside the righteousness of God in Christ and tried to plug in their own righteousness. But now Paul, on the other hand, preached the gospel of what? All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And listen to what he says in the book of, of Romans. I mean, you want to talk about something that is not flattering towards men, unredeemed men? Listen to what he says in Romans 3. None is righteous. And almost to, to respond to somebody who might be tempted to raise their hand, he emphasizes, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asp is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now that's what the scripture says about man. Again, if we were writing this script, it's not what we would say about ourselves. Right? Paul's message was certainly not flattering of the human race. But Paul's gospel glories in the grace of God, not in the good works of men. That's evidence right there, Paul's saying, that his gospel was not a creation of men. 
Now, verse 12 may be an allusion to what men commonly found in Judaism. He says, For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. The Judaism of the first century was even very different from what the people had under Moses. Because by the time of the first century, the rabbis had added all kinds of traditions and interpretations to the law that on occasion they even elevated those above the word itself. Jesus said on one occasion, you set aside the word of God for the sake of your traditions. And, and so what would happen is each rabbi would pass down, verse 12, uh, the beginning of verse 12, they would, they would pass down and pass down and pass down and add to and add to and add to. But Paul is saying, that's not. That's not the case. He received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. It's not come from man having been tweaked and added to and perverted through the years. He had received this message, the gospel, directly from the Lord Himself. And folks, this was a unique characteristic of the apostles. The apostles received revelation from God to write down. We today are not receiving these revelations. We don't have to run out and buy every week a new addition to Matthew's Gospel or John's Gospel or Revelation Part 2. We're not continually doing that because we believe the canon of Scripture is closed because it's complete. We have exactly the books in the Bible that God wants us to have. But God gave these messages through the apostles and as Peter says in, 1 Peter, in 2 Peter 1, he says... For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And he uses the same word here, carried along, that was used of wind filling, filling up the sails on a boat and carrying that boat along. He says that's, that's how the Holy Spirit inspired us. As evangelical Christians, we believe in the plenary verbal inspiration of the Bible. The full, the full canon of Scripture, no part is more inspired than any other part. And verbal meaning even the words themselves are inspired. It's not just the thoughts or the ideas behind Scripture. Even the words are inspired. Now, to help argue his point on this, that his message was from God, Paul then offers a word of personal testimony. What he shows here is that God stopped him dead in his tracks. There, there was a day in Paul's life that he put stock in man. In Philippians 3, he gives his own brag sheet, his own resume, right? You know, I... I was this and I was that, but he concludes all those things that were gained to me, I now count as dung for the sake of knowing Christ. 
Paul points out God stopped him dead in his tracks on the road to Damascus and converted him. And he says, when that happened, I did not confer with man. No human explanation could be given for what had happened to Paul on the road to Damascus. Why in the world would a man excelling in Judaism far beyond his peers, why would a man like that all of a sudden make a 180 degree turn and suddenly he's preaching the message of Christ that he previously tried to destroy? There's nothing from man that could explain that change. Only the intervention of God in his life could explain this. Paul says, God, by his grace, called me to be an apostle. And notice what he says here. He, he set me apart, verse 15, before I was born. <laughs> before I was born. I mean, you want to talk about election, there's... A case in point right there. Before I was even born, before I, like, like Paul says in Romans 9 of Jacob and Esau, before either brother had the chance to do anything good or bad, God chose Jacob and despised Esau. Paul says, before I was even born, God set me apart. And on a very important side note, what does this mean? This means God wanted the Gentiles to hear about the saving grace of Jesus. And in the Gentiles hearing, they didn't need to become Jews first. As Romans 1, 16 and 17 says, the gospel went first to the Jew and then to the Gentile just in the order but Gentiles don't need to become Jews first. Because again, the Judaizers were arguing that Christians needed to first become Jews and submit to circumcision. The fact that God called Paul and sent him to the Gentiles to preach Jesus was a testimony to the fact that the Gentiles, what the Gentiles need is Jesus. They don't need a Jesus plus something else. They need Jesus. And then Paul points out his time in Arabia. These were times, years spent in we don't know. We don't know much about it. We don't we just assumed it was some silent years in Paul's life of growing in his new Christian faith. And what was going on? His message was being shaped not by men, but by God. So again, God is the source. That's what he's trying to point out. God's the source. Then he says, I went out to Jerusalem to meet with Peter and James. A cordial visit to two apostles. The churches of Judea had not met Paul, but upon hearing of him, he says, they glorified God because of me. So here are these Judaizers 
bashing Paul's life and trying to undermine his life, but everybody who knows the situation of Paul and the change that God's done in him, what's everybody who knows about it, what are they doing? They're glorifying God. They're glorifying God because of what God has done in his grace for the Apostle Paul. And so again, what Paul is doing here is just showing he's laying out systematically the absurdity of the charges the Judaizers are making against him. Their attacks on him are ridiculous. They're trying to say he's not a real apostle. He received his message from men. He's not the real deal. Uh, just charges and attacks that in no way are verifiable. And again, anybody who knows Paul knows what's happened in his life. There's only one explanation for what's happened in his life. The saving grace of Christ. So what's going on here, these, these attacks of the Judaizers are just desperate measures by desperate men who have their own agenda. And they'll even make up stuff to further their own agenda. Now, let me, let me give you some lessons tonight. Lesson number one, Christians can expect to be attacked because of their faith in Jesus Christ. Christians can't expect to be attacked because of their faith in Jesus Christ. Men don't necessarily want to believe that they need a Savior and that salvation is only possible through Him because that would fly in the face of their pride. And so they want to attack Christians for what we believe. And a second lesson goes kind of hand in hand with that. Christians can expect to be attacked because the gospel of Jesus Christ does not leave any room for other means of salvation. Christianity is exclusive. We didn't set that up ourselves. What Christ say, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Are you Christians really saying that everybody in the world apart from Christ is lost? Yes, that's exactly what we're saying. And folks, we don't... You what? That's what everybody says today. Yeah. And we don't need to budge on that. Yes, we believe that people apart from Christ are lost. They can be a, a Muslim, a Jew, an atheist, a Buddhist, a Hindu, agnostic, whatever. People apart from Jesus Christ are lost. And that's the impetus for Christian missions. That's the impetus of the Great Commission. Why do we go? Why do we go to the nations? Because people without Christ are lost. They need to hear if any old way was okay, we'd just live and let live. But we're attacked. We can expect to be attacked because the gospel is exclusive. And again, we don't need to apologize for that. A third lesson. Christians need 
need to be more concerned about pleasing God than pleasing men. You know, if all we're after in life is the approval of men, then our service for Christ is going to be greatly compromised and diminished. If we're constantly trying to see what people think of us, you know, oh, what's everybody's opinion of me? That is no way to serve Christ. Folks, we're not in a beauty contest to be the most liked people on the face of the earth. We're in it. What Thank is it? Thank goodness. <laughs> <laughs> Pastor, what, what about when Paul went away to Damascus? You know, he spent, what, three years with a learning? Mm-hmm. How long was he gone? Three years? That was a personal time with Christ. Right? Sure. But, sure. and as some have tried to, and maybe valid. As one scholar says, that's, you know, you may, Christ spent how many years with his disciples? Three. So Paul in Arabia, receiving revelation from the Lord, instruction for three years. So he, he did, he learned from Christ. Yeah. But he also and then, saw Christ before. And then he Paul. Knew who Christ was. Yeah. And then. You know, that time too. Paul's no doubt studying the Old Testament with a new set of eyes. Seeing how Christ is the fulfillment of everything that Moses and the prophets had written about. It all pointed to him. So, you know, those were times I'm sure of reading the New Testament I'm reading the Old Testament in an entirely new light. And then a fourth lesson. It's hard to argue with a changed life. Again, they saw Paul, people who knew him, knew what he was like before and after. The disciples of Jesus who knew him as somebody coming after him to arrest him and haul him off to jail. Now he's preaching the message he tried to undermine himself. They glorified God. When people see your changed life, those who knew you before and after your new birth, hopefully they see a change. And they can't argue with your testimony that God has done a transforming work in your life. God's changed you. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says what? Absolutely. If any man's in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now, folks, as we're in chapter 1 and chapter 2, very important foundational chapter. You know, like in so many of Paul's letters, after a doctrinal section, what's, what's Paul do? Practical. He turns a corner in his letters and then applies what he's written. Usually the, the back half or back third or quarter or whatever of his letters 
well, you know, the gospel applied or doctrine applied. And we'll see that in Galatians too. But these early chapters in Galatians are critical, critical chapters in understanding Christianity and understanding the gospel. He's laying the foundation and pointing out that salvation is in Christ alone. Grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Nothing is to be added to that. As Paul will say later on, I think it's in chapter 3, to add human works or the law or anything else to grace, what do you end up doing with grace? You destroy grace. People today, what did we say last week? If they give you a testimony, you can almost hear sometimes in, in people's words, like the, they have this thought, you know, God did in my salvation, God did His best in Christ for me, and I did my best, and we put the two together, and I was saved. No. Salvation is of the Lord. You don't add anything to it. Again, Christ alone. Grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. Well, I did this. I did. Did God get a hold of you and regenerate your heart and change you and redeem you and make you a new creation in Christ? That's the question. Not, oh, I did this and I did that and I did that. No. Now the little boy said, I did my part. God did the forgiven. I did the sin. Yeah, one little boy. Now that, you could say that. The little boy said, God did his, in my salvation, God did his part and I did my part. He did the saving and I did the sin. Yeah. I'll go along with that. Okay. Anything else? Again, boy, you can understand why Galatians and the Protestant Reformation. It was along with Romans. It was it was the go-to place for the reformers. Okay. We will continue next week. Uh, as we look up here, remember these that we put on the board tonight. And there may be other issues that God brings to your heart. But, um, Jim, open our time in prayer tonight. And then you may feel led to intercede for one of these or some other matter after Jim. And then I'll, I'll close this. Father God, we just uh, thank you so much for the word that we have heard tonight. How Paul sets such a high bar for faith in you. How we can, as believers, stand up for you. 
And Father, how we can serve you in such a way that if we leave it all to you to supply us with what we need, whether it's screwing up our courage or whether it's helping us with our Bible knowledge, whatever it may be. Father, we just want to just take this wonderful example that we have in front of us. And if we apply ourselves like Paul did, he was very much like the Energizer Bunny. He just kept going and going and going. And Father, we know how that was accomplished. That was through you. Through your will, the energy that you could impute to him, all of those things, Father. It's just so awesome to see somebody who is turned on for you and is willing to do all that they can to follow your guidance to just set themselves out as totally exhausting themselves for you. Paul may have had tired feelings from doing activities like that, but oh, what a good tired feeling that was, no doubt. And Father, we just uh, are constantly amazed at what you can do. Sometimes we just like what we can do anything near that what Paul has done but Father we know better than that at any time any of us who desire to be like Paul you would help us and Father that's what we need to do and Father right now we lift our prayer list up to you goodness it's always overflowing it seems like constantly growing there are so many folks out there that have conditions and things that we need to uh, be aware of and to be in prayer for. And Father, we just know that we can thank you in advance for your intervention in each and every case here, that your grace would be a tremendous influence. Give comfort where comfort is needed. We think of Doc Willis, your wonderful, faithful servant for lo these many, many years. And Father, we just pray that uh, you would just gird her up, just give her strength, even as she inevitably will lose strength. But Father, we have felt rewarded by being able to sit under her teaching, looking at her example, and Father, just how generally this church and many others in her long service to you wedded to Dr. Willis, working as a team, working to bring those lost souls to you. Father, we just thank you so much for the both of them. And oh, we just pray your blessings upon them. Just be with God now. Just build her up. Give her the grace. 
to finish the race. And Father, we will thank you for that. That's just one example on our prayer list. There are others. I'll let others pray for those situations, but <clears throat> you just seem to have impressed upon me the Willis's and lower their long situation of just being wonderful servants for you. End of their 90s. Father, that's just awesome. And I'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. tonight, but uh, like Paul who put it, put it all on the line, they go out uh, not knowing what to expect, but uh, we ask you you would speak to, uh, speak to them through your Holy Spirit when they, uh, in the things they say and do, and help them to uh, lean heavily on you at all times for protection and, and direction. Um, we thank you for them. And, uh, we just pray you would uh, bring many uh, to come to know you through their efforts. And uh, uh, Lord, we just uh, thank you and praise you that you're you're here today as you were thousands of years ago, speaking to uh, uh, earth earthly vessels for the greatest message in the world. And uh, Lord, we we, do, we would pray for those that tonight are sick and hurting and uh, Lord that all, all different kinds of uh, sicknesses, diseases, hurts, uh, recoveries are needed. Uh, but Father, we are confident that you know each and every person. It's an amazing God we, we serve. We thank you uh, for, for coming and alongside of us and helping us and saving us. Amen.
Father, when we think of the Apostle Paul, <clears throat> we certainly see how in the words of Romans 3, he was not seeking you. He was, he was zealous. But going in the wrong direction and hostile to you and what you had done in Christ. And yet in your grace, you reached down, even in the midst of his hostility, going to arrest Christians, you reached down and you saved him by your grace. You changed him. He lived his life in such a way, sold out for the gospel, and he can get to the end of his life and say, for I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure has come. I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. Not only to me, but also to all who have loved His appearing. To finish His life with that peace. Same thing we see in the life of the Lord Jesus in John 17, where He said, Father, I have done Your will. I've accomplished the work that You gave me to do. Lord, may we all live for Christ in such a way that we'll have that peace. When our time comes, we'll die having been faithful to the end and our lives poured out for You. Lord, help us to see that living for the world, there's, there's nothing in that. The world and everything in it, as John says, is passing away. Lord, help us to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. And you promise us that if we'll do that, you'll tend to our needs. You'll look after our needs. Not our greeds, but our needs. But we're to seek you first. God, give us strength and wisdom Give us a courage and a fortitude and a boldness to do that. Lord, even this week, open our eyes and ears to those around us who need you, need a gospel witness. We're so grateful for these missionaries, but God, we're all missionaries. You've all You've put a mission field around all of us. Father, just open our eyes and strengthen our hands to do Your bidding, to do Your will. Father, a name that I want to add to the list tonight I forgot about earlier, that of Carol Brandabas one of our newest widows in the church as her husband Eli passed away recently and she has fallen and fractured her shoulder and is also in the midst of moving to a 
smaller place. Lord, be with her in all of this. Continue to comfort her and her loss and fill the void that's in her heart through the loss of a husband. I think of what Isaiah says in those closing chapters of Isaiah that you will be like a husband to the widow and a father to the orphan. Lord, be, be that for Carol. Direct her steps as she is making a, a major move in her life, just an, a major adjustment. So be near to her in this. Father, we do want to pray for Katie who is in the midst of just getting her assignment and going to uh, South Asia. Uh, direct her steps and the team that she's going with. For Aaron and Mindy, make clear to them the direction you would have them to go. Lord, we know that sometimes hindrances are just like what Paul experienced when he kept trying to go one direction and then he saw that Macedonian vision of the man saying, come over and help us. And from there the gospel went westward into Philippi and what's today the, uh, Europe. And that was your will that he go, would go in that direction. Lord, sometimes you're redirecting this is because there's a new field you're opening for us. That's not by accident. That's your providential will. So we pray that you work that way in the in the uh, Brendel's lives. For Brandon, for this young man, so sold out to you, such an inspiration to those around him. Strengthen him in his work. Father, as a church, remind us to always be salt and light. Uh, these are days for a bold witness for Christ. We see a growing darkness and hostility in the culture. And it's also a call to us to shine the light of Christ even more brightly. And help us to do that. We pray all these things tonight in Jesus' name. Amen.